welcome to the Readings Podcast, a fortnightly celebration of books. Today's episode is a recording of a live event held via Zoom during the COVID-19 crisis. It is a conversation between author and Readings bookseller Chris Somerville and author Ronnie Scott about his new book, The Adversary. A warning, as this is a live internet recording, there has been an impact on the sound quality of the episode. To introduce Chris Somerville, here's the host of the event, Readings Programming Manager, Chris Gordon. Hello, everybody. We're going to get started exactly right now. My name's Chris Gordon and I work for Readings. I'm the Programming Manager. The first thing that I should say is welcome and also to say that I want to acknowledge on behalf of all of you here that we stand today on Indigenous land, wherever you are, wherever you are in Australia. And I want to pay my respects on behalf of each and every one of you here in this wonderful Zoom landscape to our elders, past, present and future. Uh, Of course, we've always been a nation of storytellers and the fact that we're using this new technology should make no difference. What I do want to say is that tonight we are talking about Ronnie Scott's book, which was launched last week. This is the time to support our writers, to support our storytellers and, of course, our independent booksellers. Uh, So now we're all on mute. We've all got to speak of you. And it's my great pleasure to hand over this evening oh, to Chris Somerville. But before I do that, I do want to say if you've got a question that you would like to ask, just type it into the chat. Down the bottom of your screen, there's a chat kind of button. And you just chat it in and we'll be able to perhaps get to it if we get time. But now I'm going to hand the evening over to Chris Somerville, who is a Melbourne bookseller, a Melbourne author who's travelled from... Ta- Tasmania, through to Queensland, down here to Melbourne to be with us tonight to talk with the one and only, drum roll, drum roll, wave of hands, everyone, Ronnie Scott. Let's make him very, very welcome. Chris, over to you. Hello, Ronnie. Hey, Chris. How are you going? I'm I'm very well, thank you. Um, It's nice to see your face. And thanks, Chris Gordon, for the great intro to us. And thanks, everyone, for coming tonight. Um, Yeah. Oh, we're here to talk about Ronnie's debut book, which has just come out. It's called The Adversary. Um, and it's about summertime. It's about friendship. It's about lovers. <laughs> it's about housemates in Brunswick. Um, I don't know. I was trying to bring high energy to this event just because it's, I have a tendency just to vague out when I'm looking at a computer a lot. I don't know if you have the same thing. Um, but there, there was like this artist once who did like photos of young men playing video games. And I always think of that because she would, she'd take photos of like people staring at screens. So they'd vague out. And um, yeah, anyway. Um, looking what at I wanted you... Hey. Are you clicking through Twitter while you interview me, Chris? No, I've got my questions on another screen. Um, But what I wanted to talk to you about first was, um, because we're in this kind of situation, I wanted to talk about the internet and writing, um, because your book kind of handles internet in a kind of interesting way. Um, Because it's quite a... The voice of the book, I would say... You know, I don't want to tell you what it's about, really. <laughs> but the voice is a very, like, old-fashioned voice, but also you'd have 
you've talked about the internet, you've talked about like there's messages, there's Instagram, there's Grindr. Um, and I wanted to just know if you found it a challenge to write about the internet. Right. Um, well, I think that there are lots of different ways to write about the internet. And I think that, um, that there's, there's interesting writing about the internet that kind of replicates the way that people think and write um, online. Um, I think you and I have spoken before about Patricia Lockwood and her poetry and her essays um, and yeah. her, her memoir, which kind of do really great things with, with internet writing. Um, and lots of people do it in fiction in interesting ways as well. Um, but I, I, I think as much as, um, as much as the internet changes the way that people think and the way that they live their lives, um, it's also a medium for, um, for, for the kinds of expressions that we, that we undertake in everyday life anyway. And so if I was writing a fiction um, that had uh, a sort of elevated voice or that had um, like a focus on plot and metaphor and kind of older fashioned literary devices like weather representing emotion and things like that, which is all the stuff that I find really fun because I'm interested in like the history of novels. Um, I'm interested in, you know, the idea of working in this form that has like this incredible history that you can kind of call upon and play with. Um, it's just a really fun aesthetic thing to do, um, to put like message speak in the middle of that um, and to make those things mash together in a slightly strange way. Um, so, yeah, like I think that in this book, I get a lot of mileage out of the word hey. Um, because I think right. it's really funny the way people say the, the word hey to each other um, in text. It doesn't really sound funny when I say it like that, um, but but <laughs> it is. And uh, and I think that when you mix that with like metaphoric language and, and things like that, you just get something that is kind of richer than either of those two things alone, which is, you know, one of the things that you can do in a novel, even if it has a first person voice, is you can mix different registers and styles. Right. Because um, I also noticed a lot, like the narrator himself, which we'll sort of talk about, I guess, because he, he doesn't really like, he's sort of unreliable, but not in the sense that it's like, oh, I blacked out and murdered someone. <laughs> um, it's, it's more like he has all these like ideas about things, but he calls himself a reader quite a bit. But you never really see him read a book. And he sort of judges other people's bookshelves and stuff like that. But everyone reads their phone, I noticed in the book as well. Like no one reads a book at any point, unless I'm mistaken. No, I don't think anyone um, does. Sorry, you go. No, you go. <laughs> I don't think anyone does read a book, that's true. And, and they also don't really do things like watch TV or watch movies. They talk about doing it. But I, but yeah, when I was putting together, because like there's a lot of scenes in the book of people doing nothing especially the narrator doing nothing but speculating about yeah. his friend and housemate Dan and also trying to figure out the whereabouts of other people like that's where a lot of the suspense in the book comes from is him trying to figure out where somebody might be and and thinking how could he use the internet to to find out things like that um like what suspense there is comes from from that sort of like speculative suspense I guess um and I presume that in that time, he's doing things like reading books and eating food and watching movies and that's that kind of thing. But, um, but I think that that's like, that's, I don't know, that's, that's the kind of activity that I think we undertake in a really deliberate way, whereas the kind of reading that we do on the internet, whether it's through our phones or through computers, is something that's pretty like 
background part of um, part of our lives. And so it's it's the kind of thing that you can talk about in the same way that you that you talk about thought or speculating about your friends. Right, because there's no pop pop culture references either. Um, I think in the whole book, maybe that. Um, there, I think there might have been a couple in there, but then there were some that that got sort of pared out because, um, because when you don't have very many, like they stick out really hard. Um, and and yeah, there's a couple, but I sort of forget where they are. Right. Um, uh, yeah, because I also wanted to talk about just how it's a very Brunswick novel. Um, and it seems like whenever anyone leaves Brunswick, bad things happen. <laughs> but but um, was that a decision that you made? You were like, I'm going to write definitively about Melbourne because you're not from Melbourne like me, I guess. Yeah, I met you. Did I meet you on the Gold Coast, Chris, or did I meet you in Brisbane? When in you Brisbane, you? I think, when we were oh, teenagers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, I... I think that when you yeah so so my character is kind of 2021 20, you don't really he doesn't really say what age he is but that's about the age he is and the other characters are a little bit older um but not considerably older and when when I was that age I was in Brisbane um and I was studying and I had in some ways a really different life from the character um in that like uh, yeah, the, the ways in which I was kind of young and intense were slightly different from the ways in which he is young and intense. Um, I was also, because I was studying arts, I was in kind of an artistic community and in kind of a mixed community as well. Whereas he's like exclusively fo fixated on his one best friend, Dan, um, and the other characters that they meet are sort of through, um, through a really like specific, really limited set of like gay dating gay male dating options um and i think that that because i moved to melbourne a few years after the age of this character is and now like i'm in my my mid-30s and have a very different life again um you have a different connection to place um and i think that that uh it was fun to to think about melbourne as somewhere that i did have like a different kind of intense connection to but also to sort of filter it through that younger um viewpoint where where like you know a lot of the, the context from for the narrator is that he's come to melbourne from a seaside town um that's in victoria and he has really like kind of met his people for the first time when he comes to melbourne that's that's why he's so interested in Dan and so challenged by Dan and so invested in their friendship staying the way that that it has been to date at the start of the book at the start of the book they've kind of exhausted each other but they're still excited by each other and they kind of have right. to change their relationship and I think when when you're in that state like you're really judging yourself against the world around you and trying to figure out um yeah, like who, who you might be and who you are um, and you're encountering a lot of things for the first time. And I tried to look at Brunswick, especially through those eyes. Right. Because he also doesn't feel like a driver as well. And it talks a lot about how difficult it is to get from suburb to suburb, yeah. which um, I only really learned how to drive recently because I had put it off for so long. And that used to be such a, I guess, such a problem, like getting from place to place. Yeah, I was interested in using like in using place stuff to structure the story a little bit. Like 
when I said before that what suspense there is kind of depends on figuring out where people are, there are also, there's also like a, a section kind of two thirds through where he has to get from one place to another pretty quickly. And then from that place to another place pretty quickly, but he only has $50 yeah. and it's new year's Eve and, and things like that. So yeah, I, I'm interested in using the, in using place to determine like the structure of the characters lives and movements and things like that, as yeah. well as their worldview. Um, I was going to quote you, <laughs> um, but not in a way I was going to tease you about it. Um, but the, you once wrote a review of Vandela Vida's The Diver's Clothes Lie Empty, um, which I think about quite a lot because it, it opens with, um, every reader has an ideal novel, here is mine, a mad heart that blisters beneath cool determined prose. Small and private mysteries treated like international espionage, uh, a taste for coincidence and the luck that seems to govern our daily lives. Uh, and a large and secret structure that is never quite revealed. Um, and I know you wrote that quite a while ago and it seems unfair to then hold you to that. But while I was reading your book, I did think about these attributes um, on your book um, positively. I should say as well. Um, but do you think we should be ideal readers of our own books? That's a, yeah, I, I don't know about that last question because I think that um, that a lot, by the way, sorry, I, I should just say that's really like nice that you remember that review that I did publish a really long time ago. Um, yes. And I think it's, no, yeah, I think it's nice crazy. to bring it up, not unfair. Um, but I, but I haven't thought about that at all for like in the context of this book and that book that I was reviewing yeah, it's really different from, from this book, but you can also say those those things about it. And that's kind of interesting as well, how you can do a lot like within those different qualities. Um, yeah, and I really like that book, which is why I said it was my ideal novel. Um, but I think right. that like a lot of the, a lot of the, the thing that you have to do if you want to finish a project is kind of let go of your ideal for what that project is. Um, I don't know if you find this um, when you're, writing novellas or short stories. But I think that um, with, a, with a novel, at least because it takes a, like a bunch of years, there's a thing that you set out to do at the start. Um, and eventually, like the, one of the big shifts that you have to make, I think, is like a reckoning with what you've actually done and thinking, okay, this was my intention. This is what I wanted to find out and what I wanted to explore. And this is what I actually ended up exploring. And like the thing, probably the thing that you end up redrafting and developing is like uh, a mix of your original intention because there's still time and you can still change it and you still have control over your project, but also you kind of want to do justice to the thing that you have actually ended up writing. And right. especially like when you get to the end of the novel, one of the strangest, like at the end of writing it, one of the weirdest feelings is just knowing like everything that you've learned from writing it and you think, oh, okay, if I was starting this in October 2019, it would be a totally different thing. And I would focus on different things and I would make different choices, like right. at the guts of it. But you kind of have to do justice to the way that you were thinking at the time that you started it. So, like, so the question of an ideal novel is almost like something you have to let go of. And you kind of just have to work with what you have at some point. And that, but maybe that changes your idea of what an ideal story is. Right. How long did it take you to work on this? 
I started as a short story at the end of 2013, start of 2014, right? That, that period. And I, <clears throat> I, I wrote it as a set of like seven or eight short stories because I had written essays and done editing and academic work for ages. And I really wanted to learn to write fiction. And I kind of thought I would write one of those like novels in stories where yeah. you have really different things and they all connect up. And, um, were they going to be different characters or? Yeah, different characters and some shared characters. And um, yeah, like there's been so much talk lately about literary infrastructure and the arts in Australia and funding and support. And I've actually been thinking about ways that, like I got a bunch of formal support for this novel over the years, but also all of the like invisible structures that prop up what people can do are really important. So I remember writing this, this short story collection and I entered it into the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards unpublished manuscript prize, which is how like a lot of really good books yeah. get picked up. Either they win it or they get shortlisted or commended or something. And it didn't place at all. But I was just like having a conversation with literary people about writing stuff like six months later. And mm -hmm. one of the, the judges happened to be there and they said, oh, I really like this short story and the other judges did as well. And that was such like valuable, weird, informal feedback that that kicked off this novel. And it makes me think, well, if you lose right. funding for these, these opportunities that award people in formal ways that help their work happen, like how many other strange little things like that happen where people see the deadline for a prize and they use it as an excuse to complete their work. Um, so it was a right. short story and then it was like a short story that someone told me they liked out of the seven or eight linked ones. And then I just, I kept working with it. Right. Um, oh, there was something I was going to ask you in that. But... I digressed a bit. Sorry. No, <laughs> it's fine. Um, when was that? Like what year? That was 20, the 2014 round of that competition. Right. So I wrote the short stories over like, the end of 2013 start of 2014 right no because i was thinking about that earlier it was just about encouragement though as well because usually if like if i've done something and it never goes anywhere i usually just chuck it out and like i just have to like the, well not chuck out chuck out like i've got a big folder but then i i thought why do i do that i guess but also now i have a child so i have no time to do anything um uh, I was also going to ask you just about share house novels because sometimes it becomes a bit of a trope that people like, I guess don't enjoy, but I really enjoyed your book, which sounds <laughs> um, because I felt like you really made the characters relationships dynamically change. And we sort of ch touched on that a little bit. Um, and I know just, that that would have been part of your intention? Because I've heard you talk about it before, that you like just the changing of relationships. Yeah. Um, and do you feel like that pushed the book forward? Yeah, I, I did. Um, but but also kind of kept it the same in this straight in this strange way. Um, so I just answered your question in two opposite ways. But what I mean is that um, that uh, like I knew that, sorry, just a picture of a cat just came up, um, oh. just Jessica Wilkinson. Um, anyway, uh, I, <laughs> are you seeing that as well? Or are you just seeing me? 
I'm just seeing you. But um, I, was <laughs> I don't know. Picture of the cat. It was just distracting briefly. Um, that's I, the I, weirdest thing about these events is like everyone can look at them differently. So there's like no way to control that sort of thing. Right. And you think that would be freeing, but it makes me really nervous and uncomfortable. <laughs> likewise, likewise. Um, <laughs> but with the, I can mostly see you. Um, okay. So, so I, 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 I'm watching everything. So don't just relax. Don't worry about anyone else. I'm watching it all. On, who's that? That's me. <laughs> okay. It's very unnerving to see Chris Gordon pop up as well. Um, no, thank you, Chris, for watching things. I, um, I, I wanted to, <laughs> to put a friendship at the center of the story. Um, and, right. and, and I think that what I, what I found, so it was the friendship between, between the narrator and his housemate, Dan, and they live together, which is one of the, one of the great things about a housemate novel or a share house novel is that it's, it's kind of like a workplace novel in that people, are kind of stuck together and so you right. you have people yeah not not in the same kind of relationship as a romantic or a family relationship where they are i don't know that maybe they're more in, invested or there are more formal mechanisms for for resolving disputes um or for regulating feelings or there's like more of an idea of a future between those characters whereas you know like dan and the narrator at the start of the book they've gone through a phase where they spend tons of time together and they, they still really like each other, as I said before, but also like their lives have changed a lot, but they're still in this intimate space. And I like that kind of hot house feeling where, um, yeah, where people have obviously like made various choices that get them into that space, but also there's an element of kind of being forced um, to like into uncomfortable positions with people in a domestic or quiet way. And that's what the narrator and Dan are doing. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in relationships as they change. And what I was saying before about, about friendship, I think uh, it took me a while to figure out how to dramatize the friendship. Um, like I thought that, I, you know, I wrote drafts where it changed into a romantic relationship or where there was some secret in their past um, or where their, their friendship kind of ended in a, in a formal way or in a, like a confrontation. And, that just wasn't the way that the story should work. It wasn't a way that spoke to the to how friendships sit in our lives, where they they you know they end up being the fabric of our lives in lots of ways. But they there's an element of stability, even when or there can be. Um, and I wanted there to be one in this friendship as well. I wanted there to be a sense that their relationship could change and survive, and. It was really when I introduced these other kind of hectic characters like Chris L um, or the Richmond man or Vivian um, that the story was able to, act, to actually progress. You know, you said like, did that push the story forward? I think like actually getting the friendship out of the way and letting other things happen in the foreground of the story was the way that the, the story could move forward. I had to like, yeah, to, to try to have the friendship be the the like the rod at the middle of the novel, but not the thing that could take most, like the lion's share of the story. I needed other things. Right. Um, Cause do you ever worry that people will just say which parts of these are true or like which parts are you? That's yeah, I do. Um, definitely. And people like have interesting different ways to say that. Uh, like some, some your people parents. just, Hey, your parents. No, no, no. Um, I think, 
Uh, no, no, no. That that conversation with my parents happened really, really early on, actually, when right. where my dad read the first page and he said to my mom, um, Ronnie didn't live in a crumbling townhouse in Brunswick. Right. And then they said, oh, it's a novel. And uh, and that that was very, you know, pretty easy. Um, I I think that uh, it's a, it's an interesting sometimes I think that that different kinds of queer fiction are more liable to be read as something autobiographical but yeah. I but and maybe that's true like there's something to the idea that um that we expect like some experiences to be like expressed rather than some stories to be um to be like uh invented or worked on i i guess when in reality probably most stories are a little bit expressed and a little bit invented and worked on but i also think that that things about young people or things in first person or things set in the city where you live or or first novels you know all of that stuff like off, very often yeah. there's a, an autobiographical basis so no i don't i don't yeah like i i kind of worry that people think that that it might be autobiographical but then i also think that the more you like the more you read the novel, like it becomes a little bit more dreamlike or there are things about the plot that I don't think would make sense in real life, but they do kind of make sense for the story. Um, yeah. And uh, I think that it's fine to like acknowledge a relationship to real life. Right. Um, I was going to ask, I just also do I have to say do if anyone wants to drop a question into the chat, um, they can drop it there, and maybe I'll read it, um, or maybe not. Um, I, often people talk these kind of like absolute ideas about books that I kind of like and I kind of don't like them as well. Like I heard one about movies, where someone said every good movie is either a puzzle or a dream. And, and you hear that sort of thing and you think, yeah, okay, but what does that actually mean? And then also, like, you can always come up with ideas against it. Um, but I think what I really enjoyed, uh, just in books in general, I guess, but also in your book especially, is when people have sets of systems that they then put upon the world, as opposed to the books where they just, uh, they find information and bring it to you. I feel like yours is a very orderly kind of book. He's got all these ideas about joggers <laughs> um, and stuff like that. Um, but I guess, is there a point where these views become your own or are they all invented? Uh, that's a great question. Like, so when I started writing it, I decided to, that it was great to, that I was doing it in the first person because if I wanted to learn to write a novel, like I figured that I had an, like an okay voice for writing essays and things like that. And right. I thought, well, I could write a made up story about a made up character, but still just write it in the way that I like to write things. But I found that it started getting good when like the more idea I had of who the character was and the, the more I was able to have him think things that I, that I don't believe. Um, yeah. And I remember being like really excited when I figured out that you could do this in fiction and like saying to someone, um, it's great in fiction. You can just say things that you don't mean, um, and, <laughs> and people would be like, "What are you like? What are you saying that you don't mean?" That's kind of a worrying <laughs> thing for an author to say. But um, but no, like I think that he's really uh, like I, I had lots of fun with the character being judgmental and being kind of curmudgeonly. Um, yeah, yeah, and being 
says yuck very well as well. He says yuck. Yeah, I feel like there's sometimes some someone will say something and he'll just go yuck. Um, yeah, I think that he was, he was more fun to write the more like negative he was. And so I think that like, I, I don't really remember what he says about joggers, but it's probably not what I think about joggers, which is a group of people that I respect. Absolutely. <laughs> um, someone's put in the chat. They want to hear more about joggers. What is it? What did you like about the descriptions of joggers? I remember there were scenes where joggers walk past, like go past at different points. Um, I'd have to grab my phone, but I don't want to get up from my computer. I took a photo of it because I thought it was very funny. Right. I think that's an idea that people who jog together don't actually enjoy it. Right. Do you think that's true? Or do you think that's just something that the character would think? Um, I think, well, in terms of the character, I think like that without spoiling, I don't want to spoil it because like all these reveals are like, part of what makes it such a joy to read. Um, but there is a point where you find out some of his opinions are just borrowed anyway, and he doesn't actually believe them. And I guess when it's a book where it's like just about the opinions of a young person, then you're like, I know we shouldn't really listen to young people because they're, they're kind of stupid, but also fun. I guess. But, uh, when you go, oh, he doesn't even believe that. So like, he's, what else doesn't he believe? I thought it sort of like balanced that quite well. Right, yeah, I think that part of the struggle is him figuring out, cause he's had this very influential person around him, Dan, and he, I reckon feels kind of almost outraged and betrayed at the changes that he sees Dan going through. And like, it's like he's been taken unawares by them and he doesn't really know how to relate to Dan anymore. And he, um, yeah, feels like it's a, like he has a personal stake in these changes of Dan's. And it's, yeah, I don't think it's spoiling it to say that he's gotten a lot of his ideas about the world from Dan. And I think that, yeah, I, I don't know, a lot of the choices I made about him as a character, when I wasn't sure what to do, I always went back to that central relationship and thought, well, yeah, it, it would make sense for, him to feel um to feel mostly yeah betrayed not just because he's losing this person or changing this relationship with this person but it's like it's like he's discovered a sense of himself that will that has a limited shelf life i guess um yeah so so it, yeah it's interesting for the reader to have that experience of like having his opinions and judgments and then figuring out where they come from. I think that that's one of the really nice things about getting to know a character is that you get to know more and more about the way that they think, why they think the way that they do. Yeah. About um, joggers and otherwise. <laughs> I think at the moment, um, it's a big, it seems like a boom time for um, cyclists and cyclists talking to each other really loudly. Like, it's like a lot of, cause the roads are quite empty. It's kind of nice. Um, uh, someone has said why Brunswick why that demographic yeah okay um well the the suburb followed the demographic actually so the the house that it's set in is a composite of a few houses two of which are in Fitzroy and um and initially I had the story set in Fitzroy and it was 
honestly, because I lived in Brunswick and I thought it would be useful to have some distance from the place that I was writing about. I thought that like that would, would allow me to kind of imagine and invent more stuff. Um, yeah. But then eventually, like the, one of the, the big differences between the narrator and Dan became uh, like temporary class changes, um, right. like class, not as in class, like going to class, but because Dan has stopped going to class, he's graduated university. So he has like more um, like access to money and a different way of using his leisure time and things like that. Um, and I, I, it was just useful for the person he was dating to be in a suburb that was slightly inconvenient, but close to where the narrator lived that was slightly more expensive. So I moved them to Brunswick for like, for that reason. Um, and then it was really fun to kind of go to town on writing about Brunswick, having lived there. Um, I moved yeah. away from Brunswick a few years ago. And yeah, that, that demographic, I think that demographic is interesting because it, like I said before, like it's a little bit close to, um, to a life that I had and a little bit different. And I think that you always want that sort of, that middle ground where you can be a little bit inside the thing that you're writing about and a little bit outside it. Right. Um, that's good. Um, sorry, I'm reading the chat thing. <laughs> it seems to have messed up. I can't read it. So <laughs> I don't think I could. Can I hear? I uh, um, Oh yeah. 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 Um, for my final question. I suppose, because we're going to wrap it up. Um, I didn't really have a big final question, unfortunately. <laughs> um, what were you going to do? I don't want to ask you what you're going to do next, because like, obviously you're just focusing on this. I was actually going to ask you about teaching, because um, uh, I know that you teach a lot of like creative writing classes, and if that if you feel like that somehow affects your own work in a strong way, like I guess if you're like reading all these like student works and then saying this is how it could be improved, do you then ever like look at your own work and go, well, if I was, do you like switch brains, I suppose? No, I, I not, in, not in the way that you, that you mean. Like I think, um, I, I remember I've had an experience once or twice, like with a student short story where I was like, ah, oh, I like, like they've done something really interesting with this story and I and I kind of wish that I had read this in an anthology or something because then I would feel fine about doing my own take on this really great idea. Because you can't I guess it was an influence. Yeah, like you, you get really excited talking about people's work with them in a room with a bunch of other people for 20 minutes and it just naturally makes you think of your own versions of that stuff. Um, yeah. You know, and you can't because it's unethical and would be strange anyway. And you no, it would be super weird. <laughs> I had a um, student at UQ who wrote one of the best short stories I've ever read, and I don't know where they've gone. Like, they've just vanished, but it was such a good story. <laughs> Did they vanish under suspicious circumstances? No. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think they were doing it as, like, just a side subject. They didn't give a shit. That was the problem, I think. And it was like, this guy who didn't give a shit wrote this amazing short story and then vanished out of my life forever. But. 
Um, there's a short story right there. I, yeah, I think sure. <laughs> there, really, there really is a short story right there. I think that, uh, guys, I think that we might uh, just start to finish up. Uh, yeah. But, Chris, I wanted to say thank you so much. Thank you so much for those questions and all the research that you did and the kindness that you brought to that discussion. I did want to ask if I could my very own question to, to Ronnie. And, Ronnie, uh, forgive me for this question, if you, if you will. But uh, I have to ask you, I'm, I'm a bookseller after all, and I, I have to know, what actually are you reading now? Oh, what am I reading right now? I'm That's reading... What are you reading? Uh, I mean, you can actually verify this because it's an order that I placed at readings. A couple I am going to check. I <laughs> am. Um, I've just started Bad Behavior by Mary Gateskill, um, which is just an amazing short story collection. And I've, I've just started it. Uh, and she just has this amazing read on characters and an amazing way of setting tone. And like, I'm looking forward to that, to finishing that. Did you Did you choose that particular book because of the title or did you know something about her? I've, I've seen the movie Secretary, which is based on one of the short Ooh. stories. Um, it's that weird. <laughs> and and I, I read a short story by her recently that she's published in the last year, and it just made me like, want more of that tone, I think. I think that's what I'm attracted to in stories. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's one of the reasons that we're so attracted to your work, because you have this extraordinary sense and ability to be able to bring... Uh, Word, to, to create words about everything that we're thinking about anyway. You are like our great unconscious sayer, if you like, Ronnie Scott. And thank you so, so much for being part of the Readings Online events in this wonderful, strange landscape where we can sit in our own lounge rooms surrounded by our own comforts in our comfy socks and listen to someone as incredible as you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Oh, a pleasure. And, of course, to all of those people that are out there listening to us right now, do know that if you bought your book before midnight at readings and you put a readings event 10 in the code, then you would get a big, fat 10% discount. And that makes this book a complete bargain. Uh, to Chris Somerville, thank you so much for being a champ. Thank you so much for being part of the readings online events. A pleasure to have you after hours like this as well. Uh, can we all just do a little hand show our appreciation and thank everyone that was here tonight. See you next time. See you next week, hopefully online in my very own study. Uh, have a lovely, lovely week. Keep reading, everyone. And so, so much love. I'm going to unmute you now so there can be complete and utter chaos, which is something that I actually quite like. Hi, Ronnie. <laughs> there we go. Yay. Yay. Thank you very much. You can stream previous episodes of The Readings Podcast on our website, where you'll also find all kinds of bookish recommendations and plenty of great books, music, film and TV. You can also sign up to our e-news or to receive our free monthly print newsletter, The Readings Monthly. Production and music for this episode was provided by Tom Hoskins. All of our podcasts are recorded and produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and that sovereignty was never ceded. <laughs>